listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to www.redwoodbaptist.org. We hope and pray the message that you're about to listen to will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. I want you to do something for me. I want you this morning almost afternoon. I won't take a bunch of your time this evening, this afternoon, this morning into afternoon, because I know I'll go beyond noon. I want you to lock in, and I want you to do your very, very best to stick with me for about 30 minutes or so, because no doubt I've prayed much for this message. There's great anticipation uh, in my heart, and I can can probably tell you this with, with certainty this will most likely probably be the most important message that we will have heard so far in 2019. You say, even more than Easter? Yes, in that if we, if we miss this, then it doesn't matter how many Easter's we come to because it'll just simply be kind of a formality. So I want us to begin reading in verse number one. Throughout the message, we'll go down all the way through verse 20, but I just want to read the first eight verses to kind of kick us off here this morning. The Bible says, And he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship, and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on the stony ground, which had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. Verse number six, and when the sun was up, it was scorched, because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, and some sixty, and some and hundred. I have already spent about a six to seven weeks in our 10 o'clock hour going through Luke's version of this, and we, and we looked at each one of the uh, different types of soils in depth. But this morning, I want to preach a message, the parable of the soil. The parable of the soil, as we're going verse by verse through uh, the book of Mark here. Let's pray. Father, I come before you, and Lord, very needy this hour to Uh, Lord, to articulate, God, what you've placed upon my heart. Lord, it will be different than maybe what we went when we were just going line by line through Luke. And I pray that, God, we would engage this morning. I pray that through your Holy Spirit's power that I would be engaging. But, God, not so much me, but the power and the truth of your word would be what holds us captive here this morning. And, God, I promise I'll give you all the glory for what you'll do. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to know that it is not enough to simply be in this room this morning. You can be in this room where the Word of God is taught and not benefit at all. You can hear God's Word preached and you can literally walk out here in the next 35 minutes or so utterly unchanged. You can even, in the moments of this message, in the moments of, of this word, have, have great joy at what you're hearing. 
and it makes no difference in your life whatsoever. I was a fourth year uh, in Bible college, so I was a, I was a senior. I was getting my 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 I was getting my bachelor's and my master's all at the same time, trying to cram that into four years. Crazy. I don't highly recommend that for anybody, but I was doing it. And so I was, I was in my fourth year of college, my senior year. I was in the fourth level of my Greek class, and I was just, uh, I was filled with glory, so to speak, in my, in my Greek language ability. I was exegeting the book of Romans when they still did Romans at the time, as well as 1 John. I thought that my, my, my work on the book of Romans was awesome. I was thinking someday there was going to be, you know, the Book of Romans by Ryan Johnson. I mean, it was just, woo, I was enjoying it, loving it. And I got to about Romans 8, and I remember it distinctly. It was, it was an evening where I, it was one of the evenings where I didn't have to work, and I was, I was at my home and kind of up in an office area that my parents had, and I was writing notes alongside uh, the passage of Romans, and it hit me like a ton of bricks, that I had been explaining, I had been exegeting chapter after chapter, and I was in the book of Romans, which is a, chapter 8, which is a beautiful picture of the gospel, and it hadn't even touched me at all. It had done nothing but a theological, exegetical language exercise. And it just smacked me in the face. Listen to me this morning. The Bible says that the Word of God, it's, it's, it's meant to function as a mirror so that you and I, so we can look into the Word of God and we can, and, and we can see ourselves as we actually are. I'm not, anyway, I promise you, I'm not mad at anybody this morning. But sometimes we come in here with a persona of, of who we think we are and what the Word of God is supposed to do is it's supposed to be a mirror and it's supposed to say, hey, you're still needy. You're still, you're still absolutely in need of the grace of God. And so Jesus is in this familiar situation that we've seen in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and 3 of Mark. There's this variety of responses that are, that are coming his way. You have, of course, the scribes and the Pharisees, and we've learned how they're now plotting to kill him. They have found Jesus Christ as a blasphemer because he has proclaimed, I am the Son of God. You have his family and his closest of friends outside of home saying, hey, the guy's crazy. We're trying to save him from himself. Hey, get out of here. We looked at that last week. And then you have the disciples who shockingly left everything to follow this one who claims to be the Messiah. And then you have the multitudes that are constantly, on every single chapter it seems like, they're, they're pressing in on Jesus, probably not because they... They want him to be their savior, but more so because they've heard that he is the great healer. And in this situation, the crowd is so surrounding Christ, so pressing in on him. We saw in last chapter that he felt like he was literally going to be, be crushed by the crowd. But there's, the crowd is so big that he, that he says, hey, let's, let's come off a little bit. Let's get in a boat. Let's get off into the water just so he can minister to them. And it's as if Mark positions this parable at this moment in his discussion in the gospel to speak to a specific issue. And here's what the issue is. 
Why is there this wide variety of responses to Christ? Why are people who hear the same message, hear the same gospel of the kingdom, remember what what, what Mark says, he's come with the gospel of the kingdom of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Why are they having such widely different responses to the preaching? And so I'd like for us, I'm not going to, I'm not going to read the, the, the entire thing, but I'd, I'd like to kind of jump into verse number 13 of our text where, where Jesus begins to, he begins to explain what, well, what the wayside was and what the fowls and the birds were and so forth. In verse number 13, it says, And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will all ye know all? Then will ye know all parables? Let me just give you a real quick word here about parables. Parables are like extended metaphors. The purpose of a parable is not to find the application for every little piece of the parable. If you do that, uh, often it's just it becomes kind of sort of irrational. But parables have a certain point that Jesus is trying to drive home, and he's actually saying that he's saying to the disciples, "There's this is a foundational parable." This parable really explains everything that I've been doing as I've been preaching, as I've been healing and teaching. There's something that's been going on in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and everything that's going to go on in my ministry. And this this parable is the foundation for everything that's going to happen going forward. So let's let's begin to interpret this parable as, as Jesus begins to interpret for his disciples. And I want to take the soils, and I want to equate it to your heart, because I believe that's what Jesus is doing here. He's giving, a, he's giving an earthly description that everybody that would have been listening to Jesus, very agricultural society, they would have understood this, but I want, to, I want to connect it to our heart. So what I took six to seven weeks in the book of Luke doing, I want to, I want to take a kind of a different angle and hopefully help us this morning. First of all, the distant heart. The distant heart. We see that in verse number 14. The sower soweth the word, and there are they that by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they had heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. So I want you to, I want you to think this morning of, of the word picture. Seed is sown, and we, we, we can, I won't so much take the time. The seed is the word of God. We, we totally went through that proved it from Scripture in our series um, or earlier in the year. And so the seed is sown, but it's not sown like it is sown today. Today is very, is very mechanical, things like that. Back in Bible days, you would have had a sower with simply just a bag of some form of seed on his hip. And as he's taking that seed, he's kind of just, just doing one of these things, flinging it out. Now we're very precise. We're not wasteful at all. You know, just machines are kerplunking those things right where they need to be. But back then, they didn't have that. So it's just kind of throwing the seed out there. Hence, all of the different kinds of soils that some of that seed would fall on. And so Christ pictures here this particular first soil or this first heart is a kind of, it falls on the path. So if like we were, if we were trying to kind of sow maybe inside the carpet area here and I'm sowing and some of it would go out the door there and on the path and the birds, they come along and they're like, hmm, I want to eat that and they get a nice meal. So what Jesus is saying, he's saying, this is the picture of Satan immediately coming and snatching away the word before it can even take root. 
Here is what Christ is saying. I want you to hear this. Every time the word is taught, every time it is proclaimed, what takes place next is spiritual warfare. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying right now is absolute spiritual warfare. As I have throughout the week and studied and and prayed and asked God to to, to put upon my heart what to preach, and as I am to to, to, to God's honor and glory, I desire to preach accurately the Scriptures, what's happening is, is there's warfare. Satan right now is trying to get every single one of you to not allow this seed to be rooted, to actually hear it, to actually get to the heart. And so we ought to be aware of this war. For the heart that takes place and for, for what happens in the heart happens every single time the word is spoken. We ought to take it seriously. We ought to, this morning, we ought to, we ought to really believe in evil. We ought to really believe in an enemy. We really do believe in Satan who wants to do anything he can to keep us distant from the liberating, life-transforming power of the gospel in his word. And that warfare takes place on the turf of your heart in this place where we're sitting this morning. The war is taking place at this very moment. And we ought to be very aware of the seriousness of what is going on right now. How did you come into this room this morning? What is the mentality this morning of your heart? Here's what I mean. I I mean, it's possible for you and for this to just be another religious habit that you have. You know, we're just kind of coming to a Sunday morning worship service because that's what we do. Good habit, by the way. But that just could be all that it is. Or have you come aware of that war for your heart, seeking for the protecting and delivering grace of Jesus every time you are hit, so to speak, with the Word of God? 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13, kind of gives us a glimpse of Satan. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into the angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if, he, if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So what would be better, what would be a better deceit than to have you regularly hear the word of God and not benefit from it. That's a cruel trick of Satan. Remember what I said a couple weeks ago? I was radical what I said. If Satan had full control, what I believe the world would look like, I believe it'd be squeaky clean, full of people, in churches, smiling, everyone looking great, and there'd be no mention ever of Jesus. Just us getting great in our own self-righteous works. But instead, what'll happen is, is we are, I believe, and in a place where Jesus is lifted high, where the word of God is preached and we try to be uh, doctrinally and theologically correct. And so what Satan would love for people that are in that type of church would be to come week after week after week and benefit nothing from it. So let me give you some ways that that can actually happen in a church service. Here's some kind of a different angle from our series earlier. Maybe it happens when you're sitting there and you're, you're listening theologically and you're listening critically but you're not listening personally. This is, this is not just a theological exercise. 
This is not an opportunity for you to stand far away from the Word of God and to critique the way the preacher handles the theology that maybe you hold dear. Now let me say this. You should hold theology very dear to your heart. You should be concerned that those who preach, they are preaching the Word of God with clarity and with accuracy. But it can't stop there. We must be careful to receive in our hearts what the Holy Spirit desires to use to transform the very nature of who we are. Hear me. Standing afar off and criticizing in your heart and in your mind of what is going on, listen, that is a very cruel trick of the enemy. And we're not going to be perfect. We're going to make mistakes. If you were here last week and you were here the week before that, I, I kind of told you I, I, I might have painted a caricature a little bit too strongly, and I, and I walked that back last week, and I, tried, and I tried to be humble before you and say, you know what, this is actually what I meant. It was the system of Judaism that God was despised by. And so listen, we're, we're not going to be perfect. But there can't be. An, uh, there can't be just this mentality of, all right, let's, let's see what he's got. got to be a mentality of, I need this. Humble. Word of God, speak to me. Maybe you're actually sitting here and you're listening for someone else. You're sort of their kind of personal chair-sitting Holy Spirit. And you're thankful that they're in the room because you know that they will particularly benefit from the truths that are now being proclaimed. Now again, there are balances here. You should love your brothers and sisters in Christ. There are times when it is right to be very glad that maybe someone that's been a little bit wayward is back and that they're hearing, but you cannot divorce you, self, from the position of neediness. You cannot divorce yourself from the needing of being open. Listen, that too is a very, very tricky thing that the enemy does. Caring for people so much that, that, that we're so glad that they're here and we're trying to, oh man, this will be good for them and good for them, and where we're totally missing it ourselves. That's Satan's trick. Listen, those things are appropriate in some way, but not if I am not receiving the word. It is immediately snatched away before it ever has a chance to take root. That's what Satan wants for every one of us. By the way, I've had to preach this to myself all week as I've been preparing, and he wants to just take it away. The moment that we hear it, so there's a distant heart of where it's like, ah, it's not where it was supposed to be, kind of throws away, and it's, it's, it's a distant heart where we're, 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 we're critiquing. We're seeing if, if everyone's going to say it the way that we want it said. Can I just say before you, some of that creeps into my own life. I experienced it last night of where I am at a men's barbecue and I'm sitting there and thinking, hmm, I would have said that differently. Arrogance. And God broke my heart late last night and into this morning and said, this is what I wanted to teach you in this message and this is what I wanted to teach you in this message. And I'll be honest with you, I kind of had in my heart like a mentality of, all right, we'll see. A distant heart. Can I give you a second heart here? We doing okay? 
All right. That was, the, that, that was the worst one, I think. Maybe. Maybe not. The rocky heart. The rocky heart. Not rocky, Balboa. Okay? The rocky, stony heart. Verse 16. And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who when they had heard the word, immediately received it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. You know, this is pretty humbling. Listen, listen. The litmus test for your receptivity of the word is not spontaneous moment of joy. Let's not be fooled this morning. The litmus test for your true receptivity of the word of God is later. It's outside of these walls. When, when, when the hardship comes of life, when the persecutions of living for the gospel drive you beyond your strength, drive you beyond your wisdom, drive you beyond your righteousness. When life goes that does not work the way you want it to work. So listen, hear this. You will face trials because God, first of all, has chosen to keep you in a world that does not operate the way that it was intended. God just chose to leave you here. Every one of us, we could have gotten, we could have trusted Christ as our Savior, boop, gone. That's not what God chose. God chose for you and I to struggle. God chose for us to go through difficulties and hardships. About two weeks ago, I came out to my car to come to work, and I saw a massive nail sticking out the side of my tire. And I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Not now. Not right before summer. You got vacation plans and this and that. And you know, you know, like, oh, listen, that's a part of life, Ryan. What'll happen is, is sometimes those hardships, sometimes those difficulties, they're they're chosen by God as tools of sanctification and change. In those moments, in those moments, either it's going to confirm our belief in the Word, or it's going to bring cause us to doubt the Word of God. And really, there's no neutrality. We either believe it or we doubt it. And so what will happen is, is if there's no, there's no deep root, if we're not, if we're not really believing in the Word of God, we're like, yes! And then Monday comes, oh, right? Who knows what I'm talking about? Please don't say I'm the only one. Man, I get fired up every Sunday of the world. Mike and his team, they leave awesome music. I'm just, ah! And then Monday comes. <clears throat> right? It's going to happen to you. Jesus said it was going to happen to you. And so let's, let, let, let's get rooted. But in, in these moments of difficulty when they come, listen, the Word of God, it should, it, it should give you courage. The Word of God will give you hope. It will give you comfort. It will give you direction. It will give you strength. And you'll be thankful that when your world is being rocked, you have a sure foundation, which is the Word of God. And so the gospel, it's, it's an offense and if your lifestyle, if it's formed by the gospel, guess what? You're going to be countercultural human being, which means there's going to be friction. If they live for God, ye shall suffer what? Persecution. So there's going to be the problems. There's going to be the difficulties. But you and I, listen, let's not have such a rocky heart that we get all excited on Sundays, but then as soon as something comes that comes our way, a beating sun or a difficulty, if you allow me to put it that way, then it just is fleeting. Okay, let's go to number three. Number three, listen well. A thorny heart. The thorny heart. The thorny heart. Verse number 18. Remember what Satan's trying to do. This is warfare, guys. Right now, he's trying to take every single thing that's set away. And these are they which are sown among thorns, 
such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of their things entering in. They choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. I don't know if you've noticed, but I particularly believe that all four of these soils, I don't believe it's so much a saved and lost. I believe it's more that you and I, we can have moments of all of these in our lives. So one of the most significant functions of your heart is the capacity to desire. We're not beings or you know, human beings that are simply driven by instinct. We're driven by purpose. We're driven by desire. And so there is this war of desire that takes place in our hearts as long as sin is inside of it. And it is very important for us to understand that. In Matthew 6, we won't turn there, Jesus, he uses this wonderful word. It's a, it's a dynamic word. It's the word treasure. It talks about where your treasure is. You know, there we your harpy also. It's such a great word. The uh, treasure is something of value, right? And so Jesus would say that there really are only two kinds of treasures. There are the earthly bound or earthbound treasures. Those are the physical experiences. Those are relationships. Those are possessions. Those are achievements here on earth. And please hear me say this. There's nothing wrong with those desires whatsoever. None of it. God has given us the capacity for enjoyment. God has given us the capacity in his likeness for beauty, to enjoy those things. We have tongues that can taste. Can I get an amen there? I love food. Can you imagine if we couldn't taste? I mean, seriously, that is a common grace that God's given to every person. He's made food taste good. Now, some of it tastes gross, right? The greener it gets. No, I'm just kidding. I love green stuff. I'm just maybe speaking for some of you. I like green things, right? He's also given us a desire for relationships. We're social beings made that way by him and in his image. And yet those things are all awesome. They cannot be what rules our heart. It must not be the places where we, where we go to to find our spiritual life, possessions, relationships, things, enjoyments, all of those God created for you to enjoy. He doesn't want you to go live on some mountain all by yourself and not look at anything. But what he doesn't want is he doesn't want the cares of, of experiences and of relationships and of enjoyments on this earth to be the place where we find our identity. He doesn't want it to be the place where we find our meaning and the purpose of our life. He wants that all to be found in heavenly things. And when you and I live for heavenly treasures, when you and I live for, for godly purposes and the kingdom of God, I promise you, you'll enjoy everything here earthly far more. Man, if we're looking for a relationship to fulfill us apart from Jesus Christ, it's going to come crashing down and it's not going to be fulfilling. If we're, looking for, if we're looking for food to be the thing that just satisfies us, then why do we stink and have to eat six, seven hours again later? Because it wasn't meant to fully satisfy you. A relationship with the opposite sex wasn't meant to fully satisfy you. That's why you have to continue that relationship when you're married. Why? Because it doesn't, it doesn't last. It's great in the moment. You know what I'm talking about. But then you've got you to go back there. So on and so forth. The Warriors have won how many championships in a row? Two, right? Aren't we going for three? Hey, do you know? Hey, I said we. 
trying. I'm trying, guys. I'm trying, Eddie. I'm trying. Listen, why isn't two enough? Because you want three. But when you find your validation solely in Christ, as, 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 as Jesus said in Sermon Mount, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Man, when you seek him first, when, when, when he is what you, what you want in his kingdom, listen, all of this stuff, it's awesome. It's enjoyable. You can actually savor it a little bit. So my life is really ruled by a, a desire for God, that I would know him, that I would serve him, that I would grow in him, that I'd be able to be a part of his kingdom and his work. The kingdom of God needs to be the paradigm that drives my life. Now listen, how do you receive the word? The way you receive the word is conditioned by what set of desires rule your heart. Right? I think as an American church, and we are an American church, meaning we're a church in America. I love the diversity of our church. It's awesome. But we are a church in America. I think we're, we're in trouble. I think in subtle ways, and definitely not so subtle ways, we've bought the Western culture model of what a good life is. It is sad if you just take the average debt load of every professing evangelical believer. In and of itself, it's a radical scandal. We're chasing earthbound treasure so much so that we are in debt that we do not have the liberty to give as we should to the work of the kingdom of God. By the way, I'm speaking to myself as well. But what if God today said, I want you to give X amount of dollars? You'd be like, I can't. Because all that's got to go to a credit card or all that's got to go to this. And the American dream, listen, is Ah, pastor, I'm talking about money. It's crept into the church. You know what Satan wants you to do? Satan wants you to get mad at me right now. Satan wants you to think that I'm trying to get into your pocketbook right now. Listen, you know for all the years, if, if, if you've been here for any length of time, I believe in New Testament grace giving. I believe that it is not a have-to kind of thing. It is not an Old Testament where I've got to give the person. No, 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 no. I believe in a New Testament grace type of giving joyfully where we live our lives open-handedly, where we say, God, because of Jesus Christ, you own it all. And thanks for letting me live with it and enjoy life. But some of us speak racked with things that we cannot be judged. Are we still Okay. This, hey, this is, that, this is that thorny heart. The cares of this world, the things of this world, it, it, it chokes us out. I think there are ways in which all of us are tempted by this. All of us. So listen, you and I, we cannot squeeze the demands, the comforts, and the glories of the kingdom God into the busyness and drivenness of the Western culture value system. It cannot happen. It will not happen. And the American church is proof of it. Everything's always strapped. Why? Because we're seeking something here in this world to be our identity, our validation. Moving on. All right. We're almost done. Praise the Lord. Number four, the fertile heart. The fertile heart. Number 20. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring it forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. These are the people who come to hearing the word of God with soft, rich, needy heart 
humility, expectancy. We have a heart that has got a deep understanding of the desperate need that we have for grace. The desperate need and realization that although this is not the first time that I am hearing the word, I need it as if it were the first time I was hearing the word. I come with excitement. I come with expectancy. I come with a hunger. I come with a humility. I lap up every piece of God's word. And it takes root. And it bears fruit in your life. And not only your life, it begins to touch the lives of others. So may I ask you, now it's this afternoon, I preached for 30 minutes. I told you I'd be 35, so give me five more. Can I ask you this morning, this afternoon now, what heart do you bring to hearing the word of God? Man, our hearts are so easily distracted. So easy to start fiddling with your iPhone. So easy to start thinking about what kind of food you're going to have in the afternoon or what you're going to face maybe on a Monday or Tuesday morning. So here's my simple challenge to you. In the conclusion of the message, my challenge for you is that we would come into this room or any place that the Word of God is being taught, preached, read, that our prayer would be, God, give me focus. God, give me a clear mind. God, give me a heart and mind that is open and that is wanting to receive what you have for us. It means that you and I, we accept it with a humble heart. It means that we believe what God has said simply because God has said it. It means that places where it defies my logic where it blows away the things that I have always thought, that I don't allow myself to argue against the Word of God. Instead, I receive the Word of God. I accept it. And by the way, it also means that I must act upon it. Determine as you leave this place that you will live a life based on the Word of God. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. And you and I, we cannot help but think of this passage and remember the one who is talking about the sowing of the word is himself the word. He is the final revelation of God. He is God's love letter to mankind. You want to know what God thinks of you? Look to the cross. It's love. I'm giving you my best. I'm giving you Jesus He is there to pay for every one of your sins. And he is saying, hey, hey, how you receive the word or how you receive me, he's speaking of himself. He is the lamb. And he came to suffer and to die so that you and I would have the grace to believe. Ephesians 2 says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Praise God for that grace. Praise God for his sovereign plan. And what that means is that you do taking the responsibility for the condition and the character of your heart as you hear the word of God. So what heart do you bring? I can stand before you and say, man, there's times where I bring all four of those. And you know what, I, we know what God spoke to my heart heavily about this week? 
is that when I'm about to get under the word of God, that I would say, God, help me to have a soft, pliable heart that is open to you speaking to me. And then, God, I'll, I'll act on what you've asked me to do. So what kind of heart did you have this morning? Because this message, I told you, is probably the most important message all of 2019. Because every week going forward, we can come and sing. And the Word of God gets opened, and Satan would love for us for it to have no benefit come Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Massive trick of his. See it for what it is. Every head bowed, every eye closed.